0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment podcast. I am your host, Phil Friedrich. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, uh, I have a very uh, Christmassy episode. I have the owner and founder of Enchant on, and his name is Kevin Johnson. And Kevin has been an entrepreneur and enthusiast at heart for a long time. And then he created this magical Christmas wonderland. Check out EnchantChristmas.com to see exactly what I'm referencing and enjoy Kevin's story. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today I'm honored to have Kevin Johnston with me. Kevin is the owner and founder of Enchant and if you're not familiar with it, Uh, soon, you will probably have Enchant coming to your city. And otherwise, you can at least check them out on Instagram. And there's some YouTube videos highlighting it. But it's a pretty phenomenal winter display. And so I can't wait to uh, break that down with Kevin. But Kevin's going to highlight a lot of his pivotal moments and how he's gotten to where he's at today. So Kevin, thanks so much for being on.
1: Yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me
0: absolutely so Kevin uh, let's kick it off into some younger years so growing up in Canada and at some point you decide you know what I I know people like to have lights uh, on their homes for holidays maybe I could be doing that so talk a little bit about getting started in that uh, that industry
1: yeah yeah I mean post high school I didn't really know what I was to do and um, and so my best friend and I we literally two weeks before Christmas, just decided to go knock on some doors and see if we could ask people to put up their lights. And um, I think I spent the whole eight hours just knocking on doors and walked away with about a dozen jobs. And we were just kind of surprised by that. And we're like, hey, let's, let's take this seriously next year. And uh, I think the following year, we um, boarded my dad's truck, put a magnet on it. And uh, before you knew it, we had a little business going.
0: I love that. So I've got to know, is there any entrepreneurial past in your family where parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles entrepreneurial, or is this just something kind of out of the whim for you?
1: Um, Yeah, my dad's an entrepreneur. So it's, um, yeah, they had zero pressure on me to do any kind of post-education. In fact, I barely finished high school, so, um, and they were very uh, gracious and supportive in that process. If I ever wanted to get picked up from school, they would come grab me, and and even back in high school, I was actually building websites for small businesses, and um, so I had, yeah, just always selling golf balls when I was a kid. Um, I was always doing something, and uh, so when Christmas lights rolled around, it just, yeah, it was an obvious thing for us to run with, and (laughs) it worked
0: out. Yeah. So one thing I, I I'm curious about is, you know, as you have entrepreneurial parents, uh, your dad, uh, doing that, were there certain things about his lifestyle or what that was able to provide you that you are like, Ooh, this is attractive to me. Or maybe certain things about, uh, thinking if I didn't have that, that would be unattractive to me if I had to go work for somebody.
1: Yeah, uh, honestly, it was it's just so ingrained in me. Like I never even thought about getting a job somewhere like it. Um, it was always about starting something and um, just figuring out a way to make money at the time. And, um, and like even my dad, like he, he's done some pretty unique stuff in his career, um, yeah. but it wasn't all roses and, and beautiful. So um, <laughs> yeah, he did. but at the same time, I just, I saw him work hard and I saw him have a goal and work towards it. And so that just became my normal.
0: Absolutely. So getting back to the story, we're 19, we've knocked on some doors, we got 12 yeses, uh, we're going to start hanging Christmas lights. Now, I think for a lot of people starting a business, one of the things that they can run into is, well, I didn't have the perfect business plan. So I just didn't even get started. So talk a little bit about, you know, Yes, there's something to be said about <laughs> having a plan, having a strategy, but there's also something to be said about just get started, right? the The rest of it can be figured out, but just get started. So, talk a little bit about that
1: for you. Yeah, like I would say, my strong suits are more on the creative um, side of things. So, like business administration is definitely not my strong suit, <laughs> um, and so it was all about just getting the name right, getting the branding looking good, um, and and then. I don't know where it came from, but I just always had a passion for doing a good job. And, um, and so like working with clients, opp- having opportunity to do design with them, like we wouldn't, um, we wanted everything to be white lights just because it looks, in my opinion, the best. And so like we wouldn't even offer to do multicolor lights for anyone. It was always like keeping things clean and, and nice looking. And, um, and that grew us a reputation in, the, in, the, in Vancouver at the time. Um, so we ended up doing like the nicest houses in town because the owners wanted a very particular job done. And they knew that uh, my best friend, Cameron and I, at the time were doing that, um, if we were offering a premium service. So, um, we, like, even our flyers, it looked like a couple, uh, realtors were going to come to your lights for you <laughs> in suits, smiling. And, uh, <laughs> so. I love that. So year one, uh, you kind
0: of hinted that earlier year one goes well enough that you decide, you know what year two, we, we need even more assistance. So we got a truck borrowed a truck. Um, so with that, what was it about year two that allowed you to do more? Was there a marketing campaign? Uh, was it just word of mouth? How did you guys grow?
1: Yeah. So in year one, we actually borrowed, um, $15,000 from, um, my, uh, Cam's uncle and, uh, at the time that was like a huge amount of money we would never yeah. seen that much money before and we were looking at each other like how are we ever going to pay that back and um but that gave us what we needed to print out flyers and um buy some inventory buy a ladder and uh it kind of got us on our feet um and we actually did pretty well that year I think we grossed like 86 grand or something and um trust, that was just unbelievable and um and it was just a really fun start to this. And we're like, okay, let's keep going. And um, it was really just word of mouth that grew the business. Like we were, um, like we just did a good job from day one and got referrals and just kept on moving. And within a few years, we ended up doing like the who's who of Vancouver business and all the nice homes. Um, and then ended up getting a lot of the malls in the city. Um, even in the very first year, we actually dropped a business card off at the nicest mall in the city and. Um, they're like, oh, we've already have a contract for this year, but they sent our business card out to a sister uh, property out in the Valley. And we ended up getting that contract. And that was our biggest contract by a margin. Um, and so it was, and that was actually something where they wanted a particular product. Um, that was this really fancy French company and, um, the price on it was insane. It was like $800 for five lights. And, um, we ended up looking online and found a a knockoff version. And, um, and so they were super happy. They were saving tons of money and we still had a huge markup on it that I was almost embarrassed about how big it was. And, uh, but it was a win-win for both groups and the lights look great. And, um, and so that was really our, our first big win, uh, selling that product.
0: Yeah. So as you talk about that and working with some of the who's who, you know, in the area, was the the business growth in regards to that was that then the demographic all right hey this is who we can help the most and then also into the commercial building so talk a little bit about being able to help in that segment and what
1: that meant for your business and the growth of it and so we want to work with clients who expect that and um so our our marketing naturally went in a very premium direction um the service that we offered was premium and and also you can allow your pricing to be premium as well and yeah. um and so that's it just really worked for everyone and um they wanted to know that you guys were going to come in and do a quality job and and if anything went wrong we they'd call us and we'd be right back and um so just offering a really high level service and um and Yeah. It's like, you look after the guest, they look after you. It's the same mentality now that we're doing events like, um, and, but it's just gone from client to guest.
0: I love it. Now with that, you know, I think something that's important to, you know, highlight and remember is that as you're scaling your business, right. You you come to that kind of threshold where you realize, well, maybe we're not for everybody, right? Uh, We we could do every type of house, but that might cause us to slack in this area. And I think for a lot of people, you start a business and you try and market to everyone. And if you're not careful, you you can quickly find yourself being spread too thin. Whereas if you start realizing, all right, this is where we wanna be working, that can be helpful to the growth uh, of your business like you guys kind of figured out.
1: Yeah, yeah, there was definitely a few clients there that we shouldn't have taken in the early (laughs) days, and you end up spending all day on one tree, and and it's just a waste of everyone's time. Um, But finding those right clients who um, appreciate what you're doing, appreciate the service you're offering, and um, and are are willing to pay for it. I love it. So, as
0: you're growing and you are, you know, yes, in commercial properties, you're doing the big big names, Who's Who's in Vancouver, uh, you guys get a neat opportunity within the city. So, talk about how that came to be and what it turned into.
1: Yeah. So, the business, uh, my best friend had left the business after a couple of years. He actually went into real estate and, um I remember clearly he went to real estate and I went to China and um, had this opportunity to start making our own lights from scratch. And we created a, a, a West Coast proof light, we called it. So one that could withstand the Vancouver rain. And wow. um, and so we had done that for five years. The business had grown um, to a pretty healthy point for a, a solo guy. And, um, and I think it was uh, Christmas of 2014, I remember having a conversation with that same guy's Cam's wife. Um, and I don't know how the impetus was, but just the words light and maze were said in that conversation. And uh, I just remember it just kind of clicked in my head and I just started thinking about it a lot. And um, I actually rented some construction fence panels to my parents' backyard and threw lights up on it and was kind of envisioning what a field of this would look like.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, and I still have a photo actually from... From that day. And uh um, and then I I just drew a maze, like more of a complicated get lost type of experience. Yeah. And I built a little uh presentation deck around it and I pitched it to the city of Vancouver. Um, and they said, Hey, we're gonna treat you like a building because you need a building permit, and you everybody has to be within 15 meters of an egress. And um, as soon as I heard that, I was like, "Oh, there goes that idea. Like there's like, that's not, I can't build a maze under that rule. Um, and, but after going home and just like thinking about it, like, how do we make this work? Um, it was in that process that the thought of turning it into a scavenger hunt and writing a story and turning it into more of an aesthetic adventure. Um, it all kind of came to be. And suddenly I was like, like drawing a, this other version of a maze. That's like a little more open and it could follow the building permit rules. Um, and before you knew it, we were like, I was like hiring random 3d designers online to design trees and, um, reindeer and like everything that we would need. My wife ended up writing the story. Um, and, but it was very much like get started without knowing all the details. And, yeah. um, and it's like, we didn't even have the name picked out for like well into, 2016 when we ended up launching at the end of 2016 and and uh but I I think during that naming process we like looked up every name for (laughs) anything to do with Christmas (laughs) and winter and um, every language you could think of and uh, we've one night we just finally landed on Enchant and uh it just felt right seemed right and uh um and just went from there so, I, I've got
0: a plethora of questions, but one that <laughs> just comes instantly to my mind is why take the risk, right? So, you know, business is going well. This is a whole kind of out there idea that no one else is doing. Why take the business risk? So, talk about that, Kevin, for you. Why was it worth the risk?
1: Um, I think at the time, uh, like every year, we had a new product. Um, it was something that we could talk about in our marketing, it was something exciting. Like we, had the West Coast proof lights, and then we made our own roofline light that was a lot cleaner than the old cone style. Um, and then we had these wicker balls that were super popular and um I remember a year went by, and I just like another idea didn't pop up, and I was just frustrated. I was like, we needed more ideas and um and so I think when the light maze thing came along, it was like like I'd never run an event before. I had no idea really what it could turn into. Um, but it just it was a new idea, and it just felt. Just felt right, and I just had to figure it out. And um, and I remember, like we'd we'd make a little bit of money every year, and but I'd just pour everything back into the business. And um, I remember we like wrote this whole business plan for this event and um, out there trying to raise some money to get it off the ground. And um, and this is into 2016. Um, like I think I was expending like our last 50 grand towards like making this thing happen and got down to basically no money left and having to press order on, on these lights, um, to make the show happen. Um, and it was like within days, we found the right investor and like leading up to that, we were talking to multiple different groups. Each of them were would have made the deal completely different. Um, so it was like a super like distressful time figuring out who should go with and, um, meanwhile, pushing it all forward as if it's going to happen. Um, (laughs) so there's, there's been a lot of leaps of faith in, in my journey. And, um, and even, even prior to Enchant, like I would, like, it was different size numbers, but it was the same stress of like, I have to order lights and I don't know how much inventory to order and the contracts never got firmed up until like October, November, and we would have to order six figures worth of lights and, and just pray that the jobs came in and um, and like every year we'd have to find a different source for that money. Um, I remember even one day or one year my dad ended up loaning me some money and like I was taking mortgage on his house so he wow. like, just super super supportive and yeah. um, but every year it worked really well and uh, but it and then but then the next year was bigger and then the next year was bigger and then Enchant just took it to a whole new scale.
0: So As you're saying that, I want to highlight this and just hear from your experience. How has the support of people in your life, whether it was parents, uh, you know, you mentioned your wife helped write, so I'm sure she's supporting you, Uh, but talk about the support or having support from the people closest to you and what what that's meant for you and how that's helped you and as your business has grown.
1: Oh, yeah. Like there's quite a few people in my life that if they weren't here, Enchant wouldn't be either. Yeah. And um so it's yeah, like I may be the founder, but there's like don't give me all the credit. Like there's <laughs> a lot of people who helped make enchant happen. Um like even the relationships that we built overseas for manufacturing. Um like that was like we've been using the same group for like 13 years now. Wow. And like the things that they've been able to pull off on the not great timelines that I've given them is like truly heroic. Um, and uh, I think within a couple of years of the original business, um, I did find an administrator um, uh, named Cindy and she really made a unbelievable difference as well. Um, and cause like I said, I was not the administrator of a lot of this. Like she would have to sit me down to actually write the invoices and uh because we'd get through the whole christmas season i hadn't invoiced anybody yet so um <laughs> so she's yeah she was remarkable and, and she helped uh, considerably in the early enchant days too um i think we ended up probably hiring about 10 people to replace her one function <laughs> wow
0: now the other thing i want to know kind of once again you know tying into the who knew in the moment type of a moment um Getting in front of a city board is no easy task. Uh, what were some of the connections or things that led to you getting the opportunity to pitch this idea uh, to the city of Vancouver?
1: Yeah, it was um, a, lot of, a lot of cold calls and uh, just banging on doors. Um, the property that we ended up getting was unbelievable. It was right downtown, Vancouver, um, couldn't have been a better spot, really. And, uh, but we were told no, um, when I first reached out about it and, um, and I just kept on calling different departments within the city, trying to get different people on the line. And, um, and at the time, like I didn't have any photos and no one knew what the light maze was. Um, I I didn't even know what it was to a certain degree. And, uh, um, but we finally found this right person and they're like, oh yeah, I think that could be available. And, um, it just yeah, it just worked out. We got a good deal on it too. And, um, and yeah, so it's, yeah, there wasn't, I didn't have any contacts prior. It was just banging on doors.
0: Yes. So as that first event comes to fruition, talk a little bit about how it went and some of the results
1: from it. Yeah. So I mean, looking back on it, and by the end of it, you could say it went extremely well. Yeah. Um, but opening weekend was, I couldn't have said that. <laughs> um, yeah, even getting the show done on time, um, like, like that part mostly happened. Um, I think the front gate wasn't actually installed by the time we opened up on opening day, but the guest doesn't know what the guest doesn't know. Absolutely and, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, but we had a lot of issues on on the permitting side. End um, of drainage. Um, yeah. So, never having done the event before, uh, we made a lot of decisions that, uh, in retrospect, weren't great decisions. Um, the biggest one being that we thought it was a great idea to lay bark uh, bark mulch down over the entire site. Like it smelled good, it looked nice. We could hide the cables and the the bases for the sculptures. So, yeah. on like the week of sunny weather that we laid it down on, if we thought it was a (laughs) fantastic. Um, and then like, uh, on opening, like leading into opening weekend, it started pouring rain and the whole place just soaked it up and just turned into this massive, uh, swamp. And, um, and so I think it was the midnight of opening night. We had a bunch of Bobcats in there picking up material, laying down gravel instead. And, um, and actually, we had the police come and complain, or someone called us a noise complaint in because we had these bobcats running super late at night. And I, I just I do end up to the police officer and I was just like, I literally have no choice. Like I'm so sorry, but I have to keep going and we'll be done as quick as we can. And and she was just really gracious with us and it's like, okay, keep it, make it quick. And uh and you can just hear the beeping of the bobcats and yeah. <laughs> all the apartments nearby, you just see everyone glaring at me and uh um but we ended up opening um we actually had a situation with the uh permit um the inspector who uh he told us um like we had sold like 30,000 tickets for opening weekend it was like unbelievable yeah. and um he came on a thursday and just gave us this laundry list of stuff that he wanted changed and he just didn't like us from the second he he met me i don't know why um and he, uh, it was the kind of list for like, you'll never get this done. And, right. yeah. um, and so we just put our head down, got through all of it. And he said he would come back on Monday. And I was like, no, like we're opening tomorrow. Like we have to be open we sold this many tickets. Um, and I actually had to call, um, his boss just to make him come. And, wow. um, and he said he, he knew we opened at four. He's like, I'll come at four 15 and just like give us one little right more (laughs) and uh i couldn't even be in that meeting because i would not have gone well and uh so our our build lead uh took the meeting and we end up and i was actually with the crowd handing out candy canes and stuff trying to we had this line that went from the front gate like multiple blocks away and everyone's like like asking why we're not opening yet and uh i just keep giving out candy canes (laughs) and trying to make people happy um and then I think 45 minutes late, he finally gave us the green light, and we opened it up, and and chat was live. So, um, yeah, it was it was a crazy weekend. I think Saturday, Sunday, it ended up just raining, and I remember calling in a group of friends, and the whole maze was just one big puddle basically, yeah. and uh, we were having to put um, crate or uh, pallets down um, <laughs> over these over the ponds and like creating like bridges for people. And uh, so it was just not a great opening weekend. And I actually had to do a little public service announcement on the Monday, um, just apologizing and uh, for all the ruined shoes that I caused. Um, and uh, we ended up calling like every drainage company in the phone book to come in. And we literally carved up the maze, put down gravel and pipes, and, um, and got the maze draining. And the site itself actually just didn't have drainage. I just didn't think to ask that before (laughs) going into it. And um, so it all ended up working out in the end and uh, every weekend it would get significantly better. And um, we ended up hosting 230,000 people that year. It was just like a huge success. And, um, and that, um, and that was the impetus of them calling me into the, uh, they called me into a boardroom after the session, after yeah. the events, and um, the the traffic engineer spoke up first, and um, he was like, he said, hey, I gotta admit, when that light maze came across my desk, I had no idea what it was, and I asked around the office, people were like, yeah, it's a light maze. And he's like, okay. And he just gave us the stamp of approval. And um, But they said they never would have approved it if they had known how big it was. And because um, we literally just clogged up that corner of the city for a month. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, so.
0: Well, so, so talk about that, right? So the first one goes off. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to say that was super smooth, but there were plenty of things that were roadblocks. Yeah. And then post that, they say, you're not doing this again, but here we are in 2021 doing, uh, these events at different locations. So talk about what transpired past that and what your vision was after that first event.
1: Yeah. I mean, after we did the first one, then it was like, okay, this is real. It's no longer a proof of concept. Um, and like we had real numbers, we had real budgets, we had actuals on everything and um and we definitely wanted to do it again and just continue to improve upon it um and we looked all, the city was even though they told us we couldn't do it like they were still very friendly like they're like we love your show we want to see it happen in the city somewhere but we just literally can't think of anywhere that's big enough to host it and so i did look in other parts of the city and nothing was standing out to me um and that was in january and like, already Christmas is coming for me. Like it's, yeah, right. we, got, we got to find something quick. And so I just thought about, um, I wanted to get out of the rain because that was our number one issue. <laughs> and uh, um, so I thought about the Southern US and thought about uh, baseball not being in season. And I literally just Google mapping tons of stadium uh, properties all over the US and I just stumbled across the one in Dallas and saw a big flat parking lot. And I'd never even been to Dallas before, but I... I called the rangers and asked if I could ro- rent lot F and, um, and, uh, the investors that I had at the time, um, they were some lenders. Um, they're like, there's no way you're going to get visas and it's just too far away. It's too far fetched for us. Like we, we can't do it. Um, so I was like literally left that meeting and on the, on the drive home, picked up the phone and called the first guy I could think of who was a Christmas site client. Um, and just he, thankfully, he picked up. I drove straight to his house. I was like, "Here's my situation. Like, we've got this business. I did this, and uh, we want to move it down um, to the U.S. And um, and he basically just put his hand across the table and said, "Let's give it a shot." And, um, and so I was lucky to find him quickly. And um, and and then it was the process of figuring out work permits and we had to get e2 visas to go into the u.s and um negotiating with the rangers and finding new production people down in texas and um yeah it was honestly like looking back on it, it's totally crazy um and uh like we didn't do all the mark like we did some market research like we knew it was three times bigger than vancouver and yeah. um and the dallas cowboys are there the rangers are there figured it's a pretty good location um and uh yeah so we just went for it and uh, we made the show a whole lot bigger that year too um like our first show was only about 11 containers and our second one was in that 40 to i guess 50 actually on the high side yeah and uh and so yeah it was yeah that was a pretty stressful time in my life to be honest like i think during the install like i could only eat white bread like it was and like sip water like it was like (laughs) quite stressful (laughs) yes Um, but we got the show open on time and uh hosted another two hundred fifty thousand people that year and um and it was a it was a really cool show actually we had that was the first time having a skating trail we put a bridge over the middle of it and it just had a really cool village there um it was just probably the one of the most scenic shows that we've created so far and um and uh, yeah it was just so it ended up going really well. Um, and then that's when we got a phone call from the Seattle Mariners. Um, and they're like, hey, we heard of what you're doing with the Rangers. Um, we don't have a uh, parking lot, but we have a stadium. And would you consider using that? Um, and I actually told them no at first because I couldn't quite picture how it would work in there.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and but then I gave it some more thought and we knew we wanted to keep growing. Um, and uh, we went through it some a business partner change at the end of 2017, which was a lot of the stress was caused from that. Yeah. And, um, but thankfully found an, another gentleman who's still my partner today um, who, to fill in. And um, so it was just dealing with the actual business, dealing with the finances behind the business um, and thinking about what it looks like to grow it um, all simultaneous. It was just a lot. And it's, I mean, not that any of that's has really changed, but I've gotten more used to it. And um And yeah, I was just driving home from Texas with my wife and she actually drove down. So we drove back together and, um, just thinking about what the show could look like in a stadium. And, uh, and yeah, we decided to give it a shot with the Mariners. Um, and then we also moved the Texas show into the stadium too, because, um, we just thought there was some neat benefits with, uh, like washrooms being there and just the infrastructure of a stadium. And, um and the Seattle show ended up going like incredibly well. Like it was the biggest attendance we've ever had. And, um, working with the Mariners was, was really fun. And, um, and so, yeah, that was 2018 doing two cities hosting like close to 500,000 people. And, um, and even just running, that was the first time, like me not being totally on the ground. Like I was in Seattle a lot more than I was in, in Dallas and we kept the Dallas team that we had in place. And, um like not didn't go perfectly but like learned a lot from that process and um and and so because i was able to learn all that in 2018 like thinking ahead to 2019 it was like okay if we're going to do this properly like we have to hire way more people like we were still just a handful of people out of my basement at that point and (laughs) um and so I actually got in touch with a, um, a CFO, uh, a retired CFO, um, who ran a, like a massive company in Vancouver. Um, he was just happened to know my mom. I told my mom, I was looking for a new accountant and, yeah. uh, like, I think I know a guy and it turns <laughs> out to be like a very, very senior business guy in Vancouver. Yeah. And, uh, the timing on it was just perfect. Like he had retired recently, didn't really have a ton to do and uh I explained to him what I was trying to do and um he was pretty reluctant at first but then I guess I grew on him and uh um he's like okay if I'm gonna do this I have to actually roll up my sleeves and and like really get into this yeah And I was like I'm like hey if you're willing I'd take it and uh so before you know it he was like helping us do our whole business model and um and we had made like a really good margin in 2018 and so yeah. he had that to work with and and then he really just multiplied it out and, and showed me like, just gave me the confidence of like, yeah, you can hire people. Like you can afford this and, um and just like monthly or whole season of, or a whole year of cash um And uh, uh, we ended up getting another partner at that point who was able to give us a more sizable line of credit um, so that we could uh, continue to buy lights and, and cover the GNA of the business. Cause like we're only making money for six weeks at the end of the year. So it's, <laughs> hey. it's, it's a massive amount of investment to get us to September, October, we start yeah. selling tickets. Um, but he just, yeah, like just with his business acumen, um, and writing that model with me, like it was, uh, just a really amazing process and gave me a lot of confidence to keep going and yeah. um, start hiring. And so by the end of 2019, we had 40 people. Um, we had hired a couple of executives from like, uh, from a couple of large companies in Vancouver. And, um, and so we were starting to get their eyes on things and it was just a pretty amazing process watching a team come together. And, um, we had, I think eight at the beginning and by, and by the end of the year we had 40. So, um, so,
0: so let's, let's highlight and dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So one thing that I want to just kind of talk about is with a big enough, why, how does it matter? right? Like how is figure outable, but with a big enough why, how does it matter? So for you, you know, as you were focused on getting these shows going or man, I, I don't know what it would look like in a stadium, but I, I think I, I do want to try that, you know, talk about that for you and how that's, you know, benefited the business up to this point.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just the ability to see an opportunity and try to visualize it and and i'm able to visualize like an end product and then it's like working backwards of of how you get there and um and and just willing to push forward without all the answers um and so i think that's that entrepreneurial bug that some people have and um and i think it's like a (laughs) <laughs> it's probably a blessing and a curse because um, it can get you in some bad situations sometimes. Um, but we've been, yeah, we've been able to manage the business in such a way that it's led to really good things. And um, and and just finding the right people at the right time. Like um, like in the early days, I was doing a lot of a lot of the the roles in the business, and um, like even like working with architects and designing the site plans and working with these being an art director for 3d designers on trees and reindeer and like all stuff. I have no idea, never done before, but you just, you just, I don't know, I just have a, I like things to look a certain way. And, right. and so I would just push them in that direction. And, um, and, um yeah, just finding, like, I remember hiring Jared, um, who was our first like in-house designer. Yeah. And um, at the time I, who i hired as a gm and um and he i remember being on the phone with jared and we got him through a referral through a Christmas Like client and of course like all of our stuff links back to clients. Yeah. like clients yeah an amazing rolodex um and he was choosing between us and another job and he called me up and he said hey man i'm sorry like i'm gonna go with this other role and I just like went into 10 minutes of sales mode and (laughs) convinced him to join us. And I remember hanging up the phone afterwards and Jordan was like, wow, like that was, that was good.
0: (laughs) I love it.
1: Yeah. And he's been with us ever since he's a huge part of the team. And, uh, and so there's a bunch of funny stories like that. I would spend hours on LinkedIn. Like I would just live on LinkedIn looking for people and, um, and just building all these teams that are, we're all brand new. And, And also, and knowing that we want to do it in-house, we want to like really own the product. Um, In the early years, we had to use a couple of producers and stuff. And it just was never the, never exactly what I wanted. And, and, but now we're, yeah, I mean, up to 90-ish people and there's just some serious rock stars on the team.
0: You bet. So we're, we're progressing, right? So you said, hey, we we did uh, Dallas, then we did Seattle, then we get the Washington Nationals on, we get the Rays yeah. on. That was and a cool year. Yeah. So it, it keeps expanding. It keeps growing, right? Word of mouth is impactful. And you're getting calls from prestigious organizations to come work with. Yeah. Within each of those shows, and I don't know if this is a seeker or not, but do you do the same show at each spot, but just switch it to fit the, um, design or the layout that you have, or is it a different one at each geographic location?
1: Um, so yeah, in 2018, we did launch our second story. Okay. So, um, we brought the great search, which is the original story of Santa losing his nine reindeer in a storm yeah. and people going in the maze to find all of nine reindeer. Um, the second story was, um, it's called The Mischievous Elf. And it's about eight toys that this uh, character, Eddie has hidden, um, Eddie the Elf. And um, so that's the second story. So we launched that in Dallas in 2018. Um, and then in 2019, I think we did two great searches and one uh, Mischievous Elf story. Um, and the whole goal behind that is to rotate the cities between the stories. So every yeah. year they're getting a new experience um and yeah so the Mariners spoke super well of us um after the 2018 ex- yeah 2018 experience and um and that's when we got phone calls from the Rays and the Nationals um like the Rays heard about us in an article and the guy just literally cold called our, or cold emailed our website um and uh, the Nationals I think yeah they just heard about us through the Mariners and called us up and yeah. the Nationals was pretty neat like that was like we were so used to going to venues and pitching this concept yep. and suddenly we went there and they like rolled out the red carpet for us and they were pitching <laughs> us on like why they're the best city, why they're the best team. And, um, it was incredible. Like they, we showed up there, it was like this Christmas catered meal and, um, they had like this whole, uh, dance routine. Like it was, our name was up on the big screen. Like it was, it was like, we it was crazy. So it was a pretty cool experience having that table turn. And Absolutely.
0: um, yeah, well, thank you to the nationals. Nationals were giving yes. me a shout out. That's great. Yeah. Keep treating our man, <laughs> Kevin. Well, so as, as it's growing 2019 is growing. So instantly your head goes to, well, gosh, 2020, I'm sure it's bigger. It's going to be better. And then we have this thing called the pandemic hit. So talk about, you know, that hitting in March, but your business isn't until, what, November, December. So talk about how you navigated that year and kind of ultimately what you end up deciding to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 2020, that was a year. (laughs) Um, So 2019 we had, we were just on cloud nine. Like we had hosted a million people for the first time. Um, We had the best reviews that we've ever had. We had this amazing team of 40 ish people that had come together. Um, Like it just by all accounts, like it was just an amazing year. And um, we're like one hundred percent like we're doing six cities next year. Like we can double up and um and we have to make all those decisions like like we wish we could make them a year two years out, but we have to know how the year prior goes. Yeah. And so we really can't make the decisions until January, February, and after the dust settles. and um and so we were just it was like literally driving as fast as you possibly can. Like we were um, building this people plan to take us from and we were trying to build multiple years out at, the t- at that point, because we we're like finally getting stabilized. And, um, so we were looking at growing from 40 up to 120 people and, um, and we just started hiring like crazy and we already had the venues lined up. Um, so we had the six cities locked in. We knew where we wanted to take the team. Um, uh, we were working on the financing side with the banks and we we're feeling really confident that, that was all going to come together. Um, and, yeah so got into march and suddenly we start hearing about this thing and um my brother has a company with a couple hundred employees as well and so we were like talking about it like are we shutting our offices down like yeah we were pretty quick to to do that like like very early days and 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 just yeah i just remember every week felt like a a year or something like it just time was moving very slowly and um it just becoming more and more obvious like hey this is this is a thing and um and so we had we ended up like it was common at that time for everyone to be furloughing and um and so we ended up furloughing uh, 40 people um which is basically everyone we had just hired for right. the wrap-up and um so that was a super frustrating experience because like it was just like all this excitement and suddenly it was like tearing it all down right. and um and so it was while trying to stay optimistic, keeping the people that you do have the morale up and excitement there. And, um, so we kind of ended up waste, not wasting, but it wasn't really our fault, but like the first six months of the year, we didn't really know what to do. And, (laughs) uh and by like April is when we usually place our final orders. And so everyone was like racing to April to like, okay, that's, um, like we have to get everything ready by then. So everyone was kind of focused on that. And then like the day that our orders were due was the day I pulled the plug on all of our shows for that year. And, um, I think that was obviously a super hard decision. Um, and at the same time there was like a little bit of a relief there because finally we're like, okay, we're just not doing it. Cause like right. before it was like, we're on, we're off, we're on, we're off, like flip-flopping back and forth. And it was just like super stressful and difficult to lead people without a right. clear vision. And, um, and so we were like, hey, how are we going to make money this year? And um, we ended up coming up with this concept called Santa Calls. And um, it was this idea that parents could call their uh, children as Santa. And so it would change your face, change your voice. Um, and uh, like it felt like a great idea. So the marketing team got started on all the branding and the marketing campaigns that would go along with that. The tech team got started on... Um, the actual creation of this app in a very tight timeline and um and so i mean we sort of semi launched it like it, the voice portion didn't work and neither did the screen recording um and the screen recording was like the whole point of the app so that you could share that it was like the whole marketing plan um that user generated content and yeah. um and so it didn't end up working but it was it gave us all something to focus on
0: yeah. and
1: and then the design team were all focusing on the show itself and like working on our branding working on the, the shows and like coming up with new product ideas um and so looking back on it it was there's a lot of blessings that year yep. um like the shows are better for it and we were able to um like our chief creative officer cosmo was able to work on a bunch of um a like foundational uh, lore for our our storytelling and like where you can not just a name it's a place and yeah. like building this whole framework behind it and um Just a lot more depth to the brand now, and uh, that's going to pay off for forever. And um, yeah, so it's, um, so I remember like uh, on the finance side of all that, um, which we haven't, I kind of hid a lot of this from the team um, because I just didn't want to cause worry. But um, like we had 40 employees, and um, I didn't want to cut any salaries because it, just didn't kind of feel right because I wasn't asking anyone to work less I just if anything people working harder yeah. and um and uh, we had three partners at the time and one of the partners um didn't uh he thought we should just let everybody go and mm. he was like you just hang out we'll wait this thing through and we'll rebuild when it's time and I just like vehemently disagreed with that concept. Yeah. And, um, like this guy had never even been to the show before. He had no idea what went into what we do. And, um, like, if you get rid of these 40 people, like, like it's going to take years to rebuild this. Like right. It, um, and you're definitely not going to start off the gates with three again. Like mm. you're going to start with one and it's going to be painful. Um, and, uh, so we had actually had to have him leave uh, the business and, um, and the other partner um, and I've have stuck through and um, and but it was like pretty hairy like down at the like the end of the year it was like yep. like there's no more cash in the bank and mm-hmm. um, and we actually ended up leasing a bunch of product um, from our inventories from the shows because mm-hmm. um, some like uh, there was a couple events that did take place on the east coast and so we leased some some product and that gave us. Uh, like a little bit of a couple months of life, and um, and then uh, we were working on like different financing deals, talking to investors, looking at debt, like all these different options. But we were just asking people to get involved in such a unknown right situation. Like, yep. and we needed a lot of money, <laughs> like, it was like we need 10 million dollars, and um you may lose it all like
0: (laughs) (laughs) just what everyone wants to hear right yeah it wasn't
1: the easiest sale and uh, and even with that we still had a few guys who took a deep look at us and um and we were pretty close to closing a couple of those deals and um but it was all of a sudden you don't own as much of the company anymore and like it's it's not a good situation to try to raise money in and um And then we ended up getting a bunch of orders like early in the year that gave us some unexpected cash flow on the retail side. Um, and so that was just like all these little miracles that kept everything alive and moving. And like, meanwhile, the team's just working and I'm trying to hide this from as many people as I can, not in like a bad way, but just like, just don't get distracted kind of way. Yep. And, um, and like the leadership who needed to know they knew and, um, and yeah, it was just like we ended up surviving all the way to the end of summer um on our own two feet um wow. just with those sales and and wrapping up for four shows and placing the product orders and um and we ended up getting a little bit of debt from the bank last minute, um which were just for the last couple of months that we needed. So um we actually ended up surviving this whole COVID situation without any um getting away any equity, which was um, yes just crazy and a blessing and i'm grateful for um and uh and then yeah the season's going well so far so we're okay. yeah
0: and where are you all this year
1: um so we are in las vegas um at las vegas ballpark um we're in dallas at fair park uh, and then we're back with the nationals and the rays and their mlb stadiums
0: love it i yeah. love it and it, it, as we're recording this, uh, so it'll be a little bit late when you listen to this, but as we're recording it, we just had the best weekend in yeah. enchant history. That's a big deal.
1: It's a big deal. Yeah, we hosted fifty seven thousand people on Saturday, across <laughs> four cities. so um, and like really good feedback from the guests. Um, like huge shout out to our teams in each location who are are making that happen on the ground um, in Tampa at the Tropicana Field. Um, uh, the first year that we were there they um, it's a white ceiling if you're familiar with the venue yeah. and I didn't think about it when we were moving in there but we turned on all the lights um, and it just was super bright inside <laughs> right <laughs> and I was like dang it like it's just the whole atmosphere was kind of not there and um, and so we had to we went through that whole year just no choice at that point um, but I was like I really don't want to go back there if we have to do that again and because it's just not the brands level that I want. And, um, I was like, unless we can black out this stadium somehow, Ah. like it's not going to happen. And, um, and so I was like, what if we just build a huge curtain and raise it up in the rafters and, Blocked it out and we were told no like quite a few times um from a lot of different people including our own team members and I was like no we can do this and um but it, and it ended up working out so we've created yeah. a 450,000 square foot curtain wow um, and it looks amazing in there it turned out way better than even I imagined and wow. um and it's allowed us to open up during the day yeah. so it's like an, another 100,000 tickets of inventory um and yeah, so that's been really cool. Like that's like helped us hit those numbers on Saturday because we're yeah. selling out during the day and our normal nighttime hours. Um, so it turned out really well.
0: That's amazing. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you for being on today and just highlighting your story. I mean, who knew in the moment, you know, two <laughs> young or I guess older teenage uh, guys say, hey, maybe we'll start hanging Christmas lights, that that would turn into, you know, being in huge venues and putting on amazing shows. Uh, I'm excited to continue to follow your story and see all the amazing things you do. You just got to promise me, you know, three, four years from now when you're in every MLB stadium in one year that, uh, that you'll come back <laughs> on the show and we'll talk about the, the moments that led to that.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome brother. Well, Hey, thanks again. Yeah. thanks, Phil. Wow.
0: I love Kevin's story. I just appreciate his transparency, his vulnerability, and talking about all the ups and downs that it takes to go from starting a business to where he's at today and still hardships that come. I think you know, even back to the first event he put on and all of the different things he had to overcome, he could have easily said, eh, you know what, I'm just done with this. But he decided to keep forging forward, and thankfully he did because now he continues to expand. If you're in one of his local areas, dallas texas st petersburg florida washington dc go check out enchant christmas